0: Welcome, friends. My name's Tammy Simon, and I'm the founder of Sounds True and creator and co-host of the Inner MBA program. It's my delight to share with you this exclusive Inner MBA Socially Conscious CEO podcast series. The series is built from interviews that Soren Gordhammer, co-host of the Inner MBA, and I have conducted over the past three years. The series features over 40 transformational CEOs from around the world, running a diverse range of companies, all with a shared mission, that business be a force of collective good. These conversations are rich and meaningful, open and candid about personal failures, discoveries under pressure, and breakthroughs. They feature leaders who have faced enormous workplace challenges and have emerged as inspiring wisdom figures, bringing a depth of real world insight to our work together in the Inner MBA. I've gleaned so many practical ideas from these conversations, and I trust you will too. Thanks in advance for listening, and please let us know about your experience with the Inner MBA Socially Conscious CEO podcast series.
1: Welcome, everyone, to our first Luminary interview and live Q&A session. We are so glad because they're bored and lonely and need to get out, and so am I. So I'm uh, out in the the uh, Western states, um, but it's really good to be here. And then we have the Sounds True team from various locations in, in um, Colorado. Padma is a founder and president and CEO at Fable, a curated reading platform focusing on mental wellness. So we're gonna learn more about that today. She's also a member of the board of directors of both Microsoft and Spotify. In 2014, she was listed as one of the top 100 most powerful women in the world by Forbes. And in 2018, she was also featured among America's top 50 women in tech by Forbes and we're gonna talk about uh, women in technologies will definitely be one of our conversations tonight topics. i um, previously, she was C, chief technology officer at Cisco Systems and held various senior positions throughout uh, Silicon Valley and technology. Uh, I first came in touch with Padmashi maybe, uh, I think when I look back on the emails around 2011, and a friend of mine told me that there's this amazing uh, woman at Cisco who uh, practices mindfulness and at the same time oversees like 20 or 30,000 engineers and you really have to talk to her. Uh, and so I reached out to her through Twitter and she responded and I told her, hey, I'm doing this kind of thing with wisdom and mindfulness and technology. Would you be open to it? And um, she said, yes, absolutely. So we've been friends and colleagues and uh, really appreciated her ever since. So uh, welcome Padma Shri It's so good to have you here. Thank you. Thank you, Saren. Um, We're just gonna jump right in. Um, as I mentioned before, um, I'll ask you a number of questions. Uh, Tammy Simon will come in, we'll engage with you, and then we'll bring in community questions. Um, so thank you so much for taking the time. Uh, this is our very first MBA, So we have people from 20 different countries who are all signing up and saying, yes, I wanna be a part of this conscious business movement. Uh, when I went back and looked at your first talk you gave at Wisdom 2.0, Uh, Eight years ago, it was called Applied Wisdom in Business. So uh, this is something that you've been focused on a long time. And so it's really, really good to have you a part of this uh, program with us. Uh, And I thought I'd start, not everybody knows kind of your background. I thought that's really might be a nice way of of just kind of introducing yourself. Uh, I know you grew up in India and I'm curious like how that was for you and how your interest in tech and business kind of came about um, knowing that at the time that was probably a rare uh, choice of vocations. Uh, so could you talk a little bit about your early life and kind of how you moved in this direction?
2: Yeah, sure. i would uh, happy to happy to do that. And uh, hello, everyone who is joining from I hear different parts of the world. It's uh, great that all of you are here and uh, Maybe someday we'll do this face to face or maybe this is how the future will be. Who knows? But uh, yeah, I grew up in India. I uh, grew up in southern India in a small town. Um, and growing up, I was very interested in science and uh, and math. And I, I think at the time I really wanted to be a scientist. Um, and so I after I graduated from high school, I went to a fairly technical school called Indian Institute of Technology in New Delhi and uh, started actually um, enrolled in it for an undergrad degree in physics initially. And then after one year, I realized I was actually more interested in how science is applied to build things and make things uh, rather than just understanding the principles of science. So I switched to engineering and, and studied engineering at IIT. Then after graduating from IIT, I came to the U.S. as a as an immigrant graduate student and went to Cornell University, um, did my masters in engineering from Cornell, and uh, started working. My my career I would describe in various phases. I've changed industries a lot, um, and you know I think gone from. I'm still a problem solver. I, I think at my heart, all engineers are problem solvers and sort of like I define myself as that. Um, yeah, I started my career in the semiconductor industry, spent I, about 10 years or so in the semiconductor industry, became chief technology officer for uh, a fairly large semiconductor company and then moved to the mobile industry and uh, was at Motorola and became the chief technology officer for Motorola. We were building... Uh, cell phones at the time. This was before the smartphone uh, movement. And then I moved from Motorola to Cisco, which is when I think we met. I uh, moved to Silicon Valley along with that. And I was at Cisco as the chief technology and strategy officer, ran uh, worldwide engineering at Cisco, left Cisco to become the founding CEO for a U.S. subsidiary of a Chinese startup, uh, building autonomous electric cars. It's now a public company called NEO. Um, NEO is like Tesla in China, a fairly large electric car company. And then, uh, very recently, about a year ago, uh, started as a raw entrepreneur again, um, trying to bring arts and technology together, this time with Fable. And uh, we are a social platform for people to choose great books and read together with other, other folks. And uh, all in service of mental wellness. So it's sort of people usually start with a startup and, and go to large companies. I think in my case, it's the other way around. Okay.
1: That's <laughs> great. We'll, we'll have a chance to talk more about Fable um, later in the interview, which I'm, really, I'm sure a lot of people here will resonate uh, strongly with. Um, I'm curious um, what was it like to be a woman in tech back then and in engineering i I can only imagine that there were you were one of the very few in your class or even as senior leaders of in some of these positions at Motorola or Cisco or uh, some of your early uh, jobs um, is that the case were you were you kind yeah. of
2: a, a I mean, there were very few women back then in engineering or technical functions. There still are uh, very few women. I think the percentages are slightly better now, but not that much better, which is sad. And, you know, I'd love to see more women not only join tech companies, but be actually in technical roles inside tech companies. Uh, So, yeah, I was one of the very few women, I think, when I started my career, probably in the entire facility there were maybe two or three women uh, not many in, in technical roles um, so it was often you know I think uh, daunting at the same time felt very lonely you felt you feel different and you feel alone um, so yeah I mean but it also taught me to become, uh, confident in my abilities, speak up from my position of difference and authenticity, and, and truly connect as a leader with the people that I am leading. Um, I think to this day, uh, when you are different and people treat you differently, I think you develop uh, an empathy for for those that are different. And so as I was growing as a leader, inclusion, and actually more than inclusion, I call it belonging. I mean, it's more than just supporting diversity and and being inclusive. How do you make sure everyone in the team feels like they belong in the team? Uh, That's even Mm -hmm. taking diversity to the next level. Um, That's something I'm super passionate about. And and probably it stems from the fact that I was very alone uh, as uh, in my profession as a young engineer. Yeah.
1: Yeah and i noticed on your linkedin page uh, you have two lines and one of them speaks about how passionate you are about about women in tech and um, i just want to you know honor the the years you've spent on on you know moving forward and i can only imagine it was very very lonely for many years and i was reading some of the articles and past interviews you did and i i there was one and i don't know if you still believe this from from when you said it you said women need to be pretty aggressive like you need to kind of put their voice out and make a stand so it's curious what's your message for women but also what is your message for men um, about how we can create this greater sense of belonging in our workplaces
2: Yeah, no, I often say women have to be women to be successful. Meaning like sometimes we, uh, when I say women need to speak up, I'm more speaking from, it's not being aggressive or non-aggressive. I think we all have our own personalities and how we project ourselves, project our confidence. Uh, But women especially, I mean, including myself in my early days in my career, we hold ourselves back. We hesitate. Uh, Even when we know the answers, we hold back. We're perhaps not raising our hand as much as we should. Uh, This is something I feel we need to do more of and make sure we are heard. Uh, Men definitely have to go a long way in making sure they are not explaining things that women are saying. You know, there's now a word for it. And that happens a lot. And I think they give (laughs) people a seat at the, women a seat at the table, listen to them, make them feel they are part. Uh, and they bring a lot of competence, which they do, um, and they have earned a a seat at the table, and that needs to be recognized and supported. Um, Yeah, like I was saying earlier, I think now I have stopped talking about diversity. I think we need to move beyond that, and we all need to work on how do we make people belong um, in in communities, in our companies, where everyone has a, a voice, Everyone has a point of view and that's heard and and that leads to a stronger contribution from everyone.
1: Wonderful. And and on that topic, I know you've been a part of many senior teams and and working teams, and you're also on the board of Microsoft and Spotify, which essentially boards are somewhat teams as well. I'm wondering if you could speak to a little bit about what have you learned makes an effective team and makes a a thriving team, both whether it's in a board or whether it's a working group and a company. Uh, What have been some of your lessons around what makes a, a team thrive?
2: I mean, they are very different. I think there are teams that there are different levels of um, cohesiveness, right? You know, that you get... When you're in a company and you're working in a team with other people, you're working together to build something and, and, and make something that is useful uh, for your target users or customers or whatever your function is. It doesn't matter. You're still working on a product, right? Like at the end of the day, the output of what you're working on is a product and you can be in different functions and that would be the product that you're working on. If you're working on people operations, your product is maybe benefits and compensation that people inside the Company use. If you're working on a product team, you're you're you know building the product of the company and so forth. Um, I think the one big thing I have learned about teams and team dynamics: the more there are different points of view in the team, where you can bring together uh people like even at fable we have people from in the editorial team who are great readers who are avid readers or obsessed about reading and know a lot about writing and then we have engineers you know who are writing the code to make reading easy and so it's very different things but you do need to bring those skill sets together in a team environment um and 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 therefore contribute to the product um, in a board, it's very different. I think in a board, your job is not so much to create the product. Your job is to provide support for the company and challenge, frankly, the management team uh, when they're not doing their job because you're there as a representative of the shareholder. And and so boards are not necessarily teams. Boards are a collection of individuals with different expertise. And, and usually great boards have a lot of diversity on their board where people come from Uh, different domains and different companies because you need someone with a finance background, you need someone with a technology background, you need someone with a marketing background and sales background. Um, So it's a collection of individuals that come together and have to work together. So in that sense, they're a team, but they're not necessarily building the product or running the company. So there is a difference in in, uh, the dynamics of groups of people work together
1: what if what happens if let's say you're board of Microsoft or Spotify or even with your team at Fable and you hear some idea and you're like, That is the stupidest idea I've ever heard. (laughs) (laughs) That's just idiotic. Like that's what your mind responds. How do you what do you do with that? What do you do with
2: I try to say look this happens in, in to anyone at any level in any kind of an environment it happens at home right like you are <laughs> with your partner or your son and and they say something and you disagree there's a way to like sort of reach a disagreement you know or address a disagreement and express your judgment i mean if you look at our our website we say uh, listen understand and consider before we judge um, so that's one of our values at fable Uh, I'm a big believer in that. I think you do need to listen to people. You need to consider what their point of view is, understand what their point of view is. And that takes patience before you jump to a conclusion that, quote unquote, that's a bad idea or or a stupid idea, as you you phrased it. Um, And then if you truly believe that's a bad idea or it's not something you should pursue right now, you can say, yeah, I've listened to it and here's why. And this is what I think. At the end of the day, somebody needs to make a decision. And usually with, with a position, you get the to make a decision and you have to use that. Uh, Sometimes it's a collective decision. Sometimes I go around the room and ask everyone, what do you guys think? And then, you know, and people weigh in. And it's interesting actually when you ask a group of people for an opinion, sometimes people hesitate to speak their mind but then later they'll send you a message. This is what I really thought. Um, It always happens, right? Like people are afraid to speak their mind in a group environment. So you do have to kind of know all of these nuances of group group dynamic before you sort of like, especially in meetings and especially if it's virtual these days, because it's hard to read body language on, on, on video, right? And so people can turn off their video and just have their audio. And now you're wondering what are they really thinking? So you have to go to that. I think you have to make an extra effort to make sure you are truly listening and understanding and considering depends on the you know the importance or the uh, the weight of the decision if it's something that i feel in my tiny little company now that decision could make or break the company it's a serious important decision then i do both i ask them in a group environment what everyone thinks i will usually consider it come back later versus react And then I'll I'll tell them, send me a thought separately. And sometimes people are better at writing down what their thoughts are versus speaking. So you kind of have to like do, uh, I try to use all these techniques as much as possible to make sure I'm getting all the information I need to make that decision.
1: That's great. That's great. And um, when you talked about your work um, history, which was fascinating to me, I knew some of it, I didn't know all of it. Um, You also have another, another side of you, which was your mindfulness practice, your meditation practice. Could you tell us a little bit about how that started and how you, how you, how you have a mindfulness practice and also I believe at Cisco systems, you had 30,000 people working under you or reporting to you or some large number like that. So could you talk a little bit about how your mindfulness practice started and integrates and how it, how it impacts you as a leader?
2: Yeah, definitely. I uh, meditate every day. I uh, started to do that. I think now almost 20, 27 years ago. Um, it started when my my son was very young uh, when he was a baby Uh, I lost my mom at at the same year my son was born, and it was just a lot, lot for me to deal with personally. And I had a career that was very demanding. And so I was trying to balance all these things, Um, you know, family, having a newborn, losing uh, my mom and dealing with the grief. Um, I kind of, I think stumbled upon mindfulness and meditation almost accidentally. Um, you know, I literally was reading something and someone uh, said like, you should meditate. And of course, I grew up in India where meditation is is a big part of the culture, uh, but it wasn't something that I consciously uh, learned when I was a child. And so I started doing it then. And you know, I'm a very active person. It was really hard for me to sit still, um, even for for a second or a few seconds. So I really couldn't do it in the beginning, um, and I had to really like concentrate and figure out how to do it. I taught myself. Um, I, I at the time it wasn't very popular. I wish I had known you then. I would have called you and said, "Teach me, teach me this mindfulness." Uh, so I had uh, I had to learn the hard way, and you know, started with couple of minutes every day and then slowly increased it to where now I meditate almost for 20 minutes before I go to bed at night. And that is my time. I sort of feel it, it brings closure to my day. Um, Yeah, I do it very, very routinely. Now I never miss a day. It just helps me. I feel it helps me sleep better. I wake up more refreshed, calmer um, to, to make the decisions I need to for my work and for my family so there's various levels i feel of you you're much more the expert uh in this but i feel for myself there's various levels uh that you can take this you know some days it's just sitting quietly in a corner and breathing and just focusing on, on breathing for a few seconds. Uh, Just, I actually now, because now we are working um, at home, it's very easy to sort of blend in. You don't know when your day starts, when it ends, uh, when your weekends start, when they end. Um, I literally had to force myself to build in micro breaks as I call them, uh, where I take five minute, 10 minute breaks um, between, my my Zoom meetings or video conferencing meetings where I step outside or I just sit and breathe. And so to me, that's also mindfulness all the way to like deeply meditating for 20 minutes or 15 minutes or whatever. So these are various levels and I think they're all important. They all contribute uh, to our mental wellness in one way or another.
1: Yeah. In your talk, when you talked about um, wisdom applications to business, um, you talked about the the analytical side, which, of course, is often very, very developed in many of us, right? Um, Particularly if you go to an engineering background. Um, But then there's this other side, which might be called the creative or the intuitive um, and I'm, I'm curious how those both play out in your life when you're with a team. Do you ever kind of say, all right, we've been thinking about this analytically, but now can we tune into our emotions, or our hearts, or our gut? Or uh, how does that, uh, do you find yourself integrating that with your groups or do you kind of do that more internally? Like, okay, analytically, this makes sense for, you know, whatever reason, but intuitively, does it make sense? Do you do, you do that as a check-in with yourself or how do you...
2: Yeah, I I do that both both with myself and with my teams. I always actually, by the way, try to build teams that have a combination, people who have who are skilled at both um, because you can't really abrade. I mean, I'm an engineer by training, right? Like, uh, so you're trying to be very, I mean, engineering is all about being analytical, being logical, thinking about problems, but the products you build are being used by people. So I think there is the notion, I mean, there is a big, big important factor about designing it for usability, right? You know, so which is all about how people, how would an emotional, what would be an emotional response from a human being when they come across this product? So I think it's really important that you step back and, you know, you look at uh, not just whatever you're building, but how will it be used? How will people react to it? What will be the emotions uh, that this product will 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 create with people. If you go to our website, we use a lot of illustration. Um, And, you know, our website is full of drawings and illustrations of of people and, and objects. And, you know, it's sort of like, I think art makes you happy uh, or has the power to make you happy. And that's sort of what we try to bring in. Uh, We actually say Fable is a tech company with the soul of an artist. Uh, That's my dream now is to build that company. I like to dabble in art. I write poetry, I write haikus. Um, I taught myself how to paint. I painted watercolor. Now I'm experimenting with acrylics. Uh, I learned dance when I was young. I love music and dance. Um, So to me personally, even my own personal leadership, as well as professional leadership, I think my artistic side actually helps me become a better engineer and a better business leader, Um, where you're sort of like you know you are taught to strip away the humanity and make cold hard decisions uh if you just do that then you no longer are a human being i really believe we have to be human and empathetic to be great leaders and so the artistic side of all of us we all have it right if we allow that to come forward uh i think is a perfect balance
0: Oh, I
1: can't hear you. My dog was breathing heavy in the background for a moment. <laughs> uh, and as you look at your career, is there is there anything that really stands out that you know now and you like wished, wow, I you know what, if I had known that, uh, you know, back in the beginning, or if there's people, a message to to people who are maybe kind of earlier in their career, what, what would you say? What would you say is some of the one maybe key insight that you have um, from, from the many different roles that you've played in life?
2: Yeah, I would say, I mean, I wish I had taken risks earlier in my career. I mean, like I was, I had a very steady, linear career growth and I kind of stayed in this, you know, in similar kind of companies. In, in, I mean, I switched industries a lot, so I wouldn't say I didn't move around. I went from semiconductor to mobile, to cloud and networking, to cars, to now, you know, media. So I switched industries a lot, I think, but I wish I had taken risks earlier. Um, I wish I'd been an entrepreneur earlier. I love being uh, this side of me. Uh, mm-hmm. But, you know, I think when things are going well, you tend to to say, well, I don't want to rock the boat, right? But I actually often now talk, talk, to, talk to people about take a risk when things are going well, because that's when you are most confident in yourself and you feel less vulnerable about changing a job or going to a different role or changing a company. So it's often when you're doing great. And I mean, when you're doing well is when people really want you, you know, your resume is hot and people will call you. Uh, so that's when you should take the shot at the next job or, or the next move in your career. I wish I had done uh, that sooner <laughs> in my career. That's great, that's
1: great. And shifting from, Tammy uh, gives a thumbs up, if shifting from, um, Running large companies or being involved in large companies to now Fable, it feels like Fable is expressing your whole self. Tammy, when I were talking about before the interview, like the whole brain leader, right? Like we we can welcome all these different parts. And you kind of feel that Fable, even though it's a much smaller team and much smaller kind of organization, that it feels more aligned, the pieces of who you truly are more aligned for now is that is that an honest Yeah, definitely
2: i mean when you're the founder of a company that's true regardless right regardless i mean the reason a founder starts a company is because they they believe in it you know it's the mission they're very passionate about it um and that's been the case for me it's something that i truly believe Uh, mental wellness should be a priority for everyone. You know, we want to help people make this a daily priority with Fable. We want to do it in a fun, lighthearted way with reading and stories and and sharing what we are reading with other people. That's the mission of the company. Uh, It's a lot of work, uh, especially if you're coming from, you know, where, like I was, I was a C-level executive in, in very, very large mega corporations. You have a lot of support. Uh, when I was chief technology strategy officer at Cisco, I had a lot of people supporting me, helping me. Uh, when you're in a startup, you have no one. You know, it's literally you. I'm, I'm my IT support. I'm my PR support. I'm the marketing person. I'm the CEO. I'm recruiting. I'm, I'm HR. Uh, I am literally everything. And especially in the early days, and so it's a lot of work and it's a lot of, um, I would say a lot of things change. I mean, I say in a startup, one day you're super happy, next day you're very sad. You know, It's just the, the cyclical nature of how things change. Uh, is quite dramatic. And so you have to have a lot of resilience uh, to start a company. And so if in your audience, anyone's thinking of being a founder or starting their own company, uh, I always say, make sure you really know what you're going to get into. Now, having said that, I think it's a huge amount of satisfaction because you literally know everything that's happening uh, on every front. Um, And you are influencing the direction of the product you're working with your team you're recruiting the team right like so you're sort of like you are a family when there's only 20 of you. And so you, I know everyone. You know When I had 20,000 people or 26,000 people working for me, it's impossible to know everyone in the organization and you do your best, but you can't. Um, so yeah, there's dramatic differences between each people always ask me which is harder uh, and which do I enjoy more. Uh, definitely building a company from ground up is a lot harder, and, uh, but I definitely enjoy this more.
1: Wonderful, Um, so maybe one more question and then we'll bring uh, kind of Tammy in. And just for those who are looking at like, all right, I'm gonna create a successful business. I'm wondering where where the industry is going. Um, where do you see things going? <laughs> uh, <laughs> do you see the trend to wellness and to supporting like positive uses of tech that that's going to be something that's going to continue? Um, but I'm kind of curious as you kind of look ahead, and you get a beautiful insight both being on the boards of Microsoft and Spotify as an entrepreneur, of you know working in so many different companies. Um, as you look ahead, and your your you know, people are listening and, and curious, like what you're seeing as as trends moving forward. Um, how, can you speak a little bit to what you see as trends or things to pay attention yeah, to? Yeah, I mean, I
2: can speak to trends. It's it's hard to predict what will happen in the future, right? I think I, I'm a technologist. I've been in the tech industry for a long time. I think tech industry or tech, I should say, not tech industry, is really going to, uh, touch all our, our, all different parts of our life more and more, right? That's definitely going to happen. We kind of know that's happening. Now we were talking about video conferencing you and I, and I worked on video conferencing solutions in Cisco years ago. Um, and, you know, it's now like become a day of life for everyone, right? We are even children now are now being schooled using these kinds of tools. And so this is definitely uh tech in how it is touching various parts of our life is becoming or will continue to become more prevalent. Um, There's goodness and badness to that. I think the goodness, it it offers us a lot of convenience. It uh, technology's power is that you can scale it faster. Uh, You can reach anybody. You can talk to anybody in a moment's time. You can be with them uh, virtually without physically being with them. Uh, The badness of it is that it can sort of like be... A completely so engrossing that you lose the human side of you, right? Like, which is all of the other things we talked about, you know, enjoying art, going for, for uh, a walk, um, you know, like you were saying you were doing with, with your sons, um, you know, listening to music, reading a great book, um, these things we have to make the time for. So the question then becomes what role does technology play in our wellness? right? Uh, Not just health. I mean, there is a lot being done in quote-unquote health tech, right? Using technology for health care solutions. We really haven't even scratched the surface on wellness and how health can help us holistically with wellness. There has been some work done on physical fitness and wellness. I mean, there are obviously tech companies working large and small in the physical fitness area. Uh, But as far as I know, very few companies are focusing on mental wellness, and I think that's a huge opportunity. I hope that's a trend. Um, you know, definitely, I think we'll be seeing more and more solutions for how we can conduct our business day to day virtually in some fashion. Um, so, hopefully, we'll see lots of innovation in, in these kinds of solutions that we're using today. Um, yeah, and you know, I mean, everyone talks about what role will AI play. I think that definitely is a debate. Uh, that will continue for a while. I think it, it uh, definitely needs to be managed carefully um, and companies are focused on that. I think those are some things that I see different in terms of trends, uh, perhaps influenced by the changes we've all faced globally this year.
1: First of all, just a big, deep thank you to Shri. Uh, just so you know, this is not like a new interest of hers. (laughs) She's been uh, speaking her voice and speaking about the benefits of contemplative life and business life for for many years. So thank you so much, Padma for joining
0: us.
2: Thank Thank you. you. And thanks, everyone, for joining. And I hope you enjoy
0: the rest of the session. Bye. Thanks, everyone, for being with us. That wasn't the line. Sounds true. Waking up the world. Thanks for listening. Please make sure to leave your comments on this interview here on the platform. And if there's a socially conscious CEO that you'd like us to interview as part of the Inner MBA, please let us know at, at soundstrue.com.